many Christians that are lawyers love the book of Romans because the Romans is a very much a, a legal um, argument as to salvation and so forth. There's so many great things in here. That's why as you read through it, you can't just gloss through it. It's just so deep. So many things that are within it. Um, I have a hard time just skipping past and making it light. You know, it's just so deep. Um, can somebody tell me, what is it that you lack as to why it is that you could not enter into heaven? What do you lack? David. Righteousness. 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 Can someone tell me where that righteousness that you need in order to stand before God is going to come from? Neil says Jesus Christ. Absolutely. The first chapter we looked at how that, um, from not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, wherein... The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. So the gospel, can anybody explain to me what the gospel is in the Bible? Can somebody show me, can somebody say a, a, a reference of scripture that will define what the gospel is? 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 4. So if you want to know what the gospel is, a lot of people, they really take a lot of liberty with that word. <laughs> But the word gospel just simply means good news. It's good news. So here I am, I'm, I'm deficient of all righteousness to enter into heaven. That means I have to, I, I not only have no righteousness, but I have sin. And that condemns me. And so the good news is, is that Jesus Christ came to remove the sin out of the way and then to deliver to me righteousness that I can stand before God. And you see, the thing you need to understand about in verse, chapter 1 we understood is that righteousness starts from heaven to man. Yeah. It doesn't come from man to heaven. Yeah. Yeah. See, it all depends, you know, not everybody that calls himself a church is a legitimate biblical church. A church that has a message that teaches you that if you do religion this way, it can establish your salvation this way. They're lying to you. Righteousness cannot be manufactured on earth, this cursed earth, then somehow delivered up to God and said, here, take this so I can come stand before you. See, that's how dysfunctional the world is. That's how sinful we are. There's no way we can manufacture it. There's no way we can somehow come up with it to offer it to God, say, let me in, God, I'm, I'm right. <laughs> you know, he says, no, you're not. See, the only way to be right is to have the righteousness of Christ imputed to you. That's the, the legal word. That means charged to your account like a, like a credit card. He has to charge the righteousness to you. And in order for that to happen, you have to have your charge account empty. That means it can't be full of your own righteousness. You've got to say, I have none, Lord. See, that's how you come to the Lord for salvation. You come to him, Lord, I'm empty. <laughs> Blessed are the poor in spirit, right? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So you come to him, Lord, I have no righteousness to offer you. I have nothing to give you. If I got what I deserved, it would be that place called hell. Yeah. But I believe that you came. 
And I believe that you came and died to pay for my sin. And not only that, but you came to give me your righteousness so that I can enter into glory with you. Now, if you'll have the faith to believe that Jesus did that all for you, you can be saved. But if you bring up one thing from this earth, one religious thing, one church-based thing, a confirmation, a baptism, a, a communion, a this, that, or the other, you try to drum up something down here that you try to bring up to God, it nullifies the complete message of the gospel for you. You have to come to him empty. Salvation is free. The Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. See, if I could drum up one thing down here and give it to God, I'd have something that I could boast about. But he made the gospel in such a way that no man will ever boast. <laughs> we stand before God, we'll just point at him and say, Thou art worthy to, to open the book and, and the seals thereof. For thou was slain and hast redeemed us to God by, out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation. All of us will be looking at Christ and who will be there? There will be, be Moses and Abraham and Daniel and Joseph and all the great preachers of the past and uh, Charles Spurgeon and whoever it is that you think is a great Christian. All of us will stand there. We'll all point to one person and that is to Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God that gave his life for us. Now what does that have to do with our lessons today? Well, we've just been going through a couple of chapters of God uh, bringing charges against mankind. Chapter number one, the second half, he's talking to those that don't want the righteousness of God. They say, we don't need it. We're good on our own. We got our own gods. And God just says, well, I'm charging you with unrighteousness and ungodliness. And you're guilty. And the Bible says that you'll experience death because of that. And so we know that that's one way you can look at righteousness. You can just refuse it. I don't want it. I don't care about it. I got my own God. I want what I want. I'm going to do what I want to do. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. No authority has a right to tell me what to do. And you're going to go on in your life until one day you will face the great white throne. The second group we looked at is what we call a moralist. A moralist is someone that maybe isn't religious, but they kind of bank themselves on being pretty good. I'm not so bad, but they're very good at judging others because in, in order to make themselves look better, they, they try to bring other people down. And that's where God just says, guess what? Who art thou that judges another? <laughs> he says, you're guilty. doesn't matter how guilty they are, you are. <laughs> you know, the third group we looked at last week was the religion, religious person, the Jew. Now, the Jew is the kind of person that... That the, the, the Jew that he's talking about here is a kind of person that will rely on the external aspects of religion without a heart change. That means if I would ask you, if you were to die today, would you know for sure you'd go to heaven? Then you would say, yes, I do. And then, you, then I'd ask you, how do you know that? Now, the next thing out of your mouth is going to reveal to you whether you're just religious and lost or whether you're truly saved. I've had many people say, well, I've been baptized. Well, see, baptism is a part of religion. It's a good part. But religion, you've got to remember, I think I have that, son, I don't know if I have that chart up there, the one on religion. Can you pull that up? No, the other one. 
Too many charts. Note the other one. <laughs> Maybe you didn't get that one. I'm not sure. Nope. <laughs> ben says, no, I refuse. No chart. So basically, it's like this. It's like God has salvation. He puts that into your soul. That salvation gets fleshed out through your life. Your religion is based on what you are to other people. Based on what you believe about God. That's religion. So religion isn't salvation. Religion isn't vertical. Religion is horizontal. Okay? Between me and you. How what I believe about God affects the way I treat you, and that's my religion. So my baptism is me giving a testimony in the tank, or wherever you do it, about being placed into the Lord Jesus Christ and raised up in his resurrection, and that is a testimony to the people. It's, it's horizontal. It's not going to help you this way, okay? This, anytime we have religion, it should be an outflow of our salvation. But our religion isn't established before salvation. Our religion is established from our salvation, Amen. That's why I tell you, not every church out there that's called the church is a true church. Because some of them, what they'll do is they'll say, if you will have a good religion, then you can establish your salvation. That's what you call a false gospel. They're telling you to do something, manufacture it here on earth, so you can deliver it to God as, a, as an offering for your soul. But he's not going to take it. Because he's only taken one sacrifice. And that's a sacrifice of his son. Anything you try to give to God in return for your soul, he looks at it, he says, you're mocking me. You're mocking me. After my son had to do what he did for you, you're coming up to me and offering what you can manufacture? See, that's why the only way you can come to Christ, to salvation is to offer God what's already been offered, and that is the death of his son. And that's the only thing he accepts. Anything less than that, if you add, try to add one thing to that, he says, you've nullified everything. He says, either it's all Christ and you nothing, or you everything and Christ nothing. Either you meet God with your righteousness, or you meet God with Christ's righteousness. And I'm not that secure in my righteousness that I'd like to meet God in it. But I sure am very secure in meeting my God with the righteousness of his son. That's how he looks at me today. As someone that has never sinned, even though I've sinned, and even though I've got problems, and you do too, yet God in his positional wisdom, because he accepted his son's sacrifice, now looks at you as a born-again believer as someone that has never sinned. That's the record you bear before God. That's why righteousness has to come from him down. So the Jews, these Judaizers, you'd call them, they, they began to take the law of Moses, which was a good thing, and they began to use it as something that was going to get them to heaven. So circumcision. I know we don't talk about that it's an uncomfortable subject, but it's mentioned very much in the, in the New Testament. Because it was a sign given to the Jews from Abraham on 
that would make them a peculiar people in the earth that people would look to them as different from all the rest. So what people began to do, the Jews began to do, is look at these outward uh, religious uh, rituals and make them the basis for why God should accept them when that's not what they were for. See, it's the same thing you trying to go to God with your baptism and trying to offer him your baptism as some kind of a statement of how right with God you are. And it's not true. Your baptism is an outflow of what God has done in your heart. And the circumcision was was an outflow of who they were internally in their hearts. But they stopped caring about what's going on in here. It began to be ritualistic. It began to be about religion (laughs) rather than about salvation. So you got to separate the two. Folks, your religion has nothing to do with your salvation other than the fact that your religion should be an outflow of your salvation. But you didn't have religion until you had Christ. And if you had religion before you had Christ, you had a religion that was false. (laughs) Because there's no way that you could flesh out something that reflects Christ if he's not inside of you. Amen? That's why when people say, well, I was baptized, and then I got saved. (laughs) Well, I tell them, well, then you need to get baptized again. Well, why? I've already been baptized. Yeah, but you were baptized before Christ was in you. Your religion is an outflow. It's not something that happens before. The first step of your life is to receive Christ as your Savior. As many as believed him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. The Bible says, um, Acts chapter 2, 48, what is that? Somebody. (laughs) Sometimes my brain just also feels flat. It just kind of runs out of air. (laughs) Amen. And they continued steadfastly, the apostle John. What's the one verse before that? Sorry. Oh, here I did it. And in prayers. Amen. So there you have the outflow. That verse is talking about the outflow. And so they continued in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and prayers. So guess what? You're learning the doctrine in this church is an outflow of your salvation. Your fellowship with the people of this church and your continued and faithful and loyal fellowship with the people of this church is an outflow of your salvation. Not for your salvation, but an outflow of it. The communion we have together when we have the Lord's Supper, it's an outflow. It's not something you offer to God, please save me because I'm taking communion. We had someone just the other day uh, that we went to the door and they believed that because they received the wafer and ate the wafer in their mass, that that was receiving Christ. That is the doctrine they believe. So when you ask them, have you received Jesus as your Savior?, Oh, we receive him every week. That's what they'll tell you. And this is real. This is, I'm not just making it up here. This is what they will say to you. When we eat the wafer, because they believe in transubstantiation, where that wafer becomes the very body of Jesus as the priest prays over it. So now their religion is establishing 
There's salvation. Our communion is done in memory of what Christ has done. In the memory of his sacrifice. Do this in remembrance of me. If I would have a communion table up here, this do in remembrance, it would say. Remembrance. It causes us to remember what happened when we received Christ as our Savior and how Jesus Christ died for us. And when we partake of that communion, it's simply just unleavened bread and we're just remembering. We drink that, that grape juice. It's a picture of the blood of Christ and it's simply just a memory. It's not something that turns into the blood of Jesus, nor does it give you saving, uh, a saving grace to be saved from it. It just helps you to stay right with God. As you analyze yourself, as you deal with your heart. It's always been about the heart with God. Always has been. Right from the beginning, remember uh, before the flood, Genesis 6, 5, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Why did God destroy the, the earth with a flood? Because the imaginations of their heart was evil continually. They were probably all religious. Probably all bowed down to God. They all had their rituals. They all did this. They all did that. God didn't look at any of that. He brought a deluge of destruction upon mankind because of what was going on in the heart. Now the flood came. All the people were destroyed except for one family, Noah and his family. You think the problem's dealt with? <laughs> Genesis 8:21. This is post-flood. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor, and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, neither will I again smite anymore everything living as I have done. Yeah. You know what he's saying there? He's saying, Noah. You brought the enemy with you. The same thing that brought destruction upon the earth before is the same thing that existed in Noah and his family after they landed. What was the difference with this verse? The Lord smelled a sweet savor. That's what it says there. What did Noah do when he first landed? He got one of those sacrificial animals and he put it upon the altar and he killed it. And the Lord smelled that savor. Now he's not that he's, you know, just, you know, we had some steak this week, smelled real good. That's not what I'm talking about here. He smelled the sacrifice. Because you remember the father sees his son crucified before the foundation of the world. He's already seen his son die for us. By faith. So when Noah killed that animal and put it on the altar, in, in the father's mind, he sees his son and he says, that smells pretty sweet to me. And then he says, I'm not going to destroy the earth anymore. I'm going to make you a promise. And that's why, my friend, the bow is in the clouds. Yeah. It's not Pride Month. Amen. That rainbow is a, something that God gave as a, as a symbol of his promise to mankind that he would no longer destroy the earth anymore with water. Amen. And that was an important thing because he said, you're just as deserving as the people before. But now I smell a sweet savor. 
The only difference is the son. You understand that? Always the heart. When they were in Egypt in bondage, what happened here in Exodus 8.15, when Pharaoh saw that there was respite, he hardened his heart and hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. You know, it always has to do with the heart. God wasn't talking about his worship. He wasn't talking about his gods. He did deal with his gods. But you know, when it came to Pharaoh, he, he mentioned his heart over and over and over and over again. In fact, I think it's probably over 10 times he mentioned how Pharaoh's heart was hardened. It was hardened to such a point by Pharaoh's own choice that God began to harden it for him and use him. It's about the heart. What about Israel refusing to enter into the land of promise? In Numbers 32, verse 9, it says, And when they went up into the valley of Eskel and saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel that they should not go into the land which the Lord had given them. So the children of Israel, the reason why they didn't go into the land is because the spies discouraged their heart. It was what's going on in here. <laughs> then God would cry out in Deuteronomy 5.29, Oh, that there were such an heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always that it might be well with them and with their children forever. You know what he's saying? He's not saying, Oh, that they would stop doing this and stop doing that and they would do this better and go to church more and all these different things. He says, No, that there would be a heart in them. That's the one thing God wants. Said, oh, that there be a heart in them. <laughs> Today, there may be some things that you have to do and the Lord is requiring you to do, but I'm going to tell you something. Those things you're supposed to do are not in place of the action of your heart. They are there because of what's in your heart. And if he's asking you to do something and the reason is you're not doing it, it's because of your heart. So his plea is to your heart today. Preaching of the word of God is to the heart. I always say there's preaching and teaching. Preaching is to the heart and teaching is to the mind. Yeah, but every preaching, every preacher teaches. Amen. Yeah. Deuteronomy 30 verse 17. But it says, But if thine heart turn away, so that thou wilt not hear, but shall be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them. He says, Oh, the greatest fear for me and you guys is, is that your heart turns away. What's going on today, guys, is the devil's trying to turn away God's people's hearts. This world is going to come at you and show you all kinds of shiny things so that your heart gets turned away. And then I don't need to go to church and I don't need to read my Bible and I don't need to do the things of God and I I don't need to make that a priority in my life. I'm sorry, folks, when it comes down to the end, all that will matter is the state of your heart before God. All that will matter. I said before how our words reveal our heart. The Bible says in Mark 7, 21, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, and murders. Oh, I I didn't mean to do that. Yes, you did. It was in your heart. You said, I didn't mean to be immoral. Yes, you did. It was in your heart. I didn't mean to steal that. Yes, you did. It was in your heart. I didn't mean to curse. Yes, you did. It was in your heart. It all came from your heart. Well, I just made a mistake. I, I, just, I didn't know what I was doing. You knew exactly what you're doing because before you do anything like that, it's, there's a process that goes on in your heart. It's all about the heart. 
Salvation is about believing from the heart. I say this many times to people. You can go to Sunday school, learn all the stories. You can learn about Noah. You can learn about Moses. You can learn about Balaam's donkey and all these things. You can even learn about Jesus on the cross. But it's got to get out of your mind into your heart. A lot of people believe in their mind. Oh, yeah, I, I believe that Jesus died. Yeah, I, But let me ask you this. Do you trust it? See, the heart is trust. Where your heart is, that's what you're trusting in. That's what you're desiring. That's what your, your, your affections are laid towards. So when you believe Jesus, the Bible says here, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Amen. If a person's not saved, it's because it wasn't from the heart. Maybe they're trying to give them something from the church. They're saying, here's my baptism, God. Or, hey, I've been faithful to church. Or, I've been singing in the choir. Or, I've been playing piano. Or, I've been singing some music specials. Or, or something like that. <laughs> That's not from the heart. You're offering something external. See, that's what the Jews had a problem with. They were trying to say, Lord, take my circumcision. Take my obedience to the law. Take my tithing. Take all these things. Do you understand that tithing was never of the law? You remember Jacob? Remember when he saw the, the, the angels descending and ascending? This was before the law was ever given. What happened? He saw the Lord at the top of the ladder and the Lord began to reiterate a promise to him and tell him all the great things that I'm going to do with you, Jacob, and the great nation that I'm going to establish for you and I'm going to take care of you and I'm going to protect you and I'm going to be your God. And Jacob's response was, if that's what you are to be, God, I'm going to give you 10% of everything you give me. Yeah. It's mine. <laughs> Jacob realized right off the start, everything he had was given by God. And he began to prove it as he worked with Laban. All of a sudden, the cattle started to expand. And he started to get more cattle and more. It was just because God blessed him. Yep. He was in the heart. A lot of people look at tithing as some kind of law thing. They're going to do it on the outside. No, tithing is a big part of your heart. It's a grace thing, really. Salvation has got to be from the heart. Jesus brings peace to your heart. What does this mean? This means that, you know, the, the disciples would go out on the boat and the wind would begin to blow and the storm would begin to toss the boat around, just like your life. All of a sudden things get tossed upside down and things are going out of control. And you pray to God, God, help my situation. Take away the financial problem. Take away the sickness, God. Take away all these problems that are causing me such problem in my heart. He says, why don't I do this? Why don't I give you peace in your heart? Yeah. Hey. You know what God wants more than anything? He doesn't want someone that's crying about all the storms in their life. He wants somebody that's willing to allow him to give them peace in their heart in the middle of the storm. That, my friend, is a definition of peace. Oh no, peace is everything, just no ripples in my life. No. Peace is you surviving and going forward even though there's storms all around you. Yeah. See, it's about your heart. In Hebrews 10, 22, it says, let us draw near with a true heart 
in full assurance of faith. Guess what? All your religious rituals are not going to get you close to God. Your baptism won't get you close to God. Your tithing won't get you close to God. Your faithful service won't get you close to God. You know what gets you close to God? A true heart. You deal with this thing. Many times we have sins in our heart and we do all the religious things, we do all the church things, and, and yet we never deal with the inner sin. The Bible says if we guard iniquity in our hearts, he will not hear us. Yeah, we're trying to, God, take this, take this. Aren't you pleased with me, God? Aren't you pleased with me? And yet inside, there's things, just, I can't look at that. You got filth in there that needs to be clean. Amen. My last one here is, I'm sorry, this is the introduction. I, and I won't get into my message, but God assures your heart. God assures your heart. So what do you want assurance in? It says in 1 John 3, 19, And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. See, sometimes what happens is you've got a heart that's condemning you. And this is where instead of getting it right, you just, you just self-condemn yourself. Well, I'm just no good. I'm not. Well, if your heart condemns you, you go to the Lord with it. And you deal with your heart. Get assured before him. Amen? It says, Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. That means right now, if there's nothing in your heart that you say, you know, there's nothing, I, I dealt with everything, maybe you've been keeping short accounts with God. And I encourage you to do that every day. Just go to the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me for the things that I thought today and those, maybe those words I used. And forgive me for, for what I watched on TV. I shouldn't have been doing that. Every day. Keep short accounts with God. If you do that, you'll find yourself having a heart that's assured before God and you'll have confidence before Him. There's a reason why people don't like going to church is because the preacher is always reminding them of the condemnation in their heart. Well, there's only one solution for that, guys. Amen. Deal with it. Yeah. Deal with it. Don't, don't run away from the preacher. That's what the Old Testament they used to do. First they put the law behind their back and then they'd kill the prophet. Thinking somehow it's going to make me right. No. All it does is keep you stupid. Keeps you blind. The sin is still there. You can run away from every service, every church service for the rest of your life. It's not going to change the problem in your heart. In fact, it'll just go deeper and deeper and deeper. Deal with it. Deal with what's going on. There's something going on there. You know you're not faithful. You know you've not been doing what God asks you to do. You know you haven't been thinking right. You know you've been messing with things that you know aren't right. Deal with it. Stop going on thinking that it's going to end up okay because it will not. You're cursing your life. You can't draw near to God. When I was younger and I had a problem with smoking cigarettes and so just so you know the context, I know what people go through. I was in a rock band. I had hair down to here. We were doing drugs. We did all the things that people do in rock bands. I smoked cigarettes. I was addicted over two packs a day. That was my life. 
Folks, I know that God can clean your heart. I know he can bless you. He can change you. I'll tell you something. If you had that, that person I was many years ago standing before you today, standing beside me, you would not recognize him. Because the Lord did it. And you know how he did it? He didn't make me religious. He changed my heart. Oh, there were so many things. And this is just the way I think. If the Lord is good enough to do that for me, and if he's going to give his life for me and save this wicked sinner, and I should have been in hell, why am I not faithful to him? Why don't I love him? Why don't I give myself to him and stop playing games with God about my, my walk with him? Why don't I get back on track? Folks, if Jesus is that good and he died for you and paid for you, why wouldn't you receive him? You're here today without Christ. You're going to walk out without Christ after you knowing what he's done for you. How could you do that? There's nothing anybody's ever done that is more valuable to you than what God did in sending his son for you. And we cry about people treating us badly out in the world and people not giving us our boss ripped me off. Folks, he's giving you the most valuable thing for free and you will not take it. You will not take it. And there's nothing you have to do except believe in your heart. Don't cry to me when your boss rips you off. Like that's some big deal. Your $10, $20, $100 that you lose or the government taking all your money away in taxes. My goodness, you're throwing away the greatest treasure that you could ever have. Oh, if you're here without Christ, you need to get saved. Oh, he loves you so much. Don't you listen to that devil telling you things in your mind. Oh, that's not for me and that's for them and I'd have to be a Baptist. No, it's not about being a Baptist. Folks, your religion is an outflow of your salvation. You receive Christ, you let him make you what he wants you to be. Amen. Amen. Oh, I encourage you to get saved today. Don't be a religionist. Don't be a religionist. And many Christians are. I've met some Christians. Folks, I believe in having modesty standards. I believe in dressing right. I believe the nakedness in this world and the ungodliness that they're portraying in the world is just something that is so ungodly. But you know something? You can't give God that for your salvation. You can't. That doesn't make you spiritual. That's an outflow of my relationship with God. I want to be modest because my God is holy. Not because it makes me something. You know? And that's where people that don't understand that religionists will talk to you and they'll think you're forcing somebody. They, they don't even, you're not even on the same wavelength because they're coming from the opposite direction. Amen? And you wonder, why don't I want to do all these things? Why don't I want to follow God? Why don't I want to be faithful? Why am I not faithful to the house of God? Why don't I want to be in church? Folks, there's no better place to be is when the preaching is being preached. You ought to be there. 
I mean, my goodness, man, the Bible says so. Oh, there he is, preacher. Just want him to come to church. Yes, I do. And I'm not ever going to be ashamed of that. Because I know you need the preaching to get into your heart. This morning, just think if you wouldn't have been here. What would you have done? Turn on the TV? Get fed by this stinking world? But you know what? The Lord loved you so much, he made it possible for you to have his precious word placed in your heart this morning. That's so valuable. Oh, if you're here without Christ, I want to encourage you to get saved. If you're here as a religionist, and maybe you've just been focusing on all the things you need to do and you're forgetting that the reason why you're doing these things is because of what Jesus is doing in your heart. Or maybe it's the fact that you've got something in your heart that's keeping you from doing and being what God wants you to be. You need to go to God with that. No Baptist preacher can cleanse you. Only Jesus. Draw close to him with a true heart in full assurance of faith. There's nothing greater than being able to look at your God in the face. Say, Lord, I'm so glad to be in your presence. There's nothing between me and you today. Keep short accounts. Amen.